and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. We're going to be talking about nutrient deficiencies in various crops on today's program. And we'll be taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or by email radio at agphd.com. Well, I was thinking about today's topic, nutrient deficiencies in various crops, and I was just driving by some of our crop this morning, and I noticed on the edge of a cornfield, kind of in a lower area, I saw some leaves burning up towards the bottom of the plant. We've been pretty dry. We've caught a little bit of rain here lately, but overall for the season, we've been on the dry side. And a lot of times when we're dry, nutrients are bringing in nutrients with water through that root system. And sure enough, where I saw the the plants are having a tough time bringing in enough, in this case, nitrogen, uh, the ground was just hard there, just really hard. It was right inside a field approach, kind of in a lower area, and it was just compacted. And that's something we're going to have to deal with. And it's something to kind of keep in mind, too, as you're looking in your fields, if you see nutrient deficiencies, start asking why. Obviously, a soil test can tell you, well, are there even any nutrients out there? But a shovel is my best determiner, determining factor here to see, huh, can my roots even get what's out in the soil? And a lot of times, for us anyway, that's where we see the most problems is when I can't get my shovel in the ground. It's hard for those tiny little root hairs to get much further than that and explore the volume of soil that they need to explore to get to certain nutrients. So we'll be talking about that on today's program. And of course, any agronomic questions you have as well at 844-44-AG-PHD. But uh, I'm going to dive right into the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! I got this one in from Mike. And by the way, Mike's Mike's call sign is uh, he's a John Deere fan. And uh, I, I thought that was kind of interesting, Mike. A lot of us in agriculture kind of wear our hearts on our sleeves or or uh, the color of our equipment on our clothing or whatnot. And so anyway, uh, I just thought I'd tease on that just a little bit. Uh, but Mike had a, a news article that he saw, and this one's about cover crops. There's a, a company or a cash crop that, that uh, or cover crop is called Cover Cress, where they're using pennycress that they've done some gene editing on and plant breeding to turn winter weed pennycress into a new rotational crop uh, that could produce a low carbon oil used as a feedstock, uh, could meet renewable fuel demand, these kinds of things. And and they just said Bayer had just purchased a, a majority ownership stake in that company. Just wonder if we'd seen that, wonder what we thought about that. You know, we've heard about Covercrest for a while. And certainly there's a lot of different things that, that could get used in many of those markets, whether it's cover crop or uh, oils uh, that could be used for renewable fuels, those kinds of things. So that's kind of cool. You know, when you see one of these big companies jump on it like that, you think, wow, they are spending, I think I saw somewhere like $7 million a day on research is what Bayer's budget was. And I thought, well, for $7 million a day, it wouldn't take too many days. They could make some significant progress here if they poured a lot of energy to this. So, no, I hadn't seen that yet, that they had taken a majority ownership share, Mike. But uh, thanks for sharing that. That's pretty cool and something to, to keep an eye on. And I think, you know, as we see these big companies get involved in some of the different sectors, 
um, it, it gives you a lot more confidence knowing, okay, uh, there, there's a lot of money getting invested in this and, and hopefully they'll, they'll make some progress. Cause certainly I don't know anybody that was doing any gene editing work on Pennycress uh, before this company started working on. It. So hopefully they get something good for us. That'd be great. All right. Uh, get this one in from Dave. And he said, a question for you guys. I was at your field day this year, and I, I was looking at a potato plot that you had, and I was just kind of curious what variety you had in the potato plot. And I'm not sure why you're asking the question, Dave, uh, and what exactly you're hoping to get out of that, uh, or if you're just thinking, huh, whatever's going on with that variety, uh, it's got some issues out there. Well, there wasn't one variety. There were three. And that was kind of the purpose in that plot. Not only were we going to show some potatoes just as a highlight crop for AMVAC and some of the different things they're doing with their SimPass system in potatoes um, and, and other products, I guess, that AMVAC's got. We were trying to make an American flag. And we took three varieties of potatoes. And I don't know which varieties actually were because we didn't really care about productive capabilities or anything. We just picked up three varieties from North Dakota State based only on flower color because we wanted to have uh, different colors of flowers and then planted them in, in a pattern to, so it would look like a U.S. flag. Unfortunately, uh, it didn't work out for us. The flowering dates didn't quite work out just perfectly. I think it was probably our fault because we, we had delayed planting in that part of the field day. But um, anyway, yeah, we, we just picked three varieties from North Dakota State. So you could check out North Dakota State's potato varieties they've got. And uh, you could probably figure out what we got as we were going for, for different color flowers. Hey, thanks for the question, Dave. Uh, even though I don't have an exact answer for you, like I say, we weren't picking varieties for their performance. We were just looking at flower color. Thanks for coming to the field day, too. We really appreciate the support. Uh, got this one that, that came in from Mike, and he is up in... Uh, Canada, it says, oh, Ontario, there we go. Uh, he said, I was at your field day, um, and I thought it was great, and I heard you guys talking about using dry ammonium sulfate in soybeans. I'm just curious, would you be incorporating that in the spring or in the fall? Do you use it in a strip-till band, or do you broadcast that? How are you using that product? What my goal is, I'd like to try some small trials, five acres or so on a couple different farms. One is a 28 to 30 CEC, really heavy clay soil. The other is a 7 to 10 CEC, that's cation, cation exchange capacity. He said that would be a sandy loam, that's 7 to 10 CEC. So our, average, our area averages 40 inches of precip annually. I'm assuming fall incorporated would be fine on the heavy clay but spring would probably be better on the sand. Just wondering what your thought is. Hey, Mike, I, I'm right with you on that. If I had really light, sandy soil and I got plentiful rain, uh, I, I'd want to do stuff either in the spring or, or possibly if you could band it even later. I like the broadcast app because nitrogen and sulfur both move around fairly well. I just want to have good availability of the nitrogen and the sulfur during the reproductive stages on soybeans and ammonium sulfate. Depending on soil pH, it takes somewhere between 30 and 60 days to really fully release and come available. That's one of the reasons we like that source. Hey, thanks, Mike. Really appreciate it. There's a new kind of crop protection in your territory, and it's always on the hunt. Howler Fungicide unleashes multiple modes of action for proven, broad-spectrum protection against soil-borne and foliar diseases. Start protecting your territory at agbiome.com slash howler. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. 
The Enzone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Introducing our most advanced technology from Hypro, the 9915 series diaphragm pumps. Upgraded with corrosion-resistant materials and a multi-piston design to work longer and harder in any condition. Hypro, right on technology, right on target. It's planting season, race against the clock season, mistakes can't happen season, and no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster, that makes your spacing and depth more accurate, and that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. Just before the break, we had a question that had come in from Mike about using ammonium sulfate in soybeans. And yeah, the heavy ground, a lot of times we're doing stuff in the spring, the light ground. I, I love your idea, Mike, of using stuff later on in the season. Just again, I want to have that available during the reproductive phases of soybean growth because that's where we start seeing our topic of today, Nutrient deficiencies. That's where if we run short, we start aborting pods, aborting flowers, those kinds of things. So uh, especially around R3, I really want to make sure I got plenty of nutrition out there for this crop. Uh, so thanks for the question, Mike. We do appreciate that. And that'll be a fun trial for you to do. Let us know how you, how you turn out on that. We'd love to hear what your results are in your geography. Got Dr. Jerry Willem on with us right now with AgriLiquid up in Michigan. And Jerry, you do a lot of trial work. I know you've already had some trials coming out with your winter wheat. Uh, and, of course, you got corn and soybeans and other crops just right in the prime where they need lots of nutrient availability. So nutrient deficiencies, certainly something you're watching for. How you doing, Jerry? Yeah, I'm doing well, Darren. Uh, thanks for the opportunity here. But I'd be remiss if I didn't start off by saying that uh, – I'm at the site of Michigan's premier outdoor farm show, the Agro Expo, which is today and tomorrow. And it's a beautiful day in the 70s, and uh, it's the big, biggest one we ever had. It's got over 150 ag vendors and planter and tillage demonstrations, new, a lot of new planters and new tillage uh, tools out there today and tomorrow making demonstrations. And it's at our North Central Research Station by St. John's. And yeah, there's people from all over. In fact, I ran into a guy this morning from western Minnesota, although it's Matt Falk, so maybe that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> I actually got some pictures from your event. It looked like you had a lot of stuff. looked like, I think, by my count anyway, seven different planters that were going to be running in the field. Is that right? Yeah, I think it was closer to 10. Wow. Uh, 
maybe 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 some came in and and uh yeah so there's a lot of different uh technologies new technology even i hadn't seen <laughs> and uh so yeah it, it was good to see that and and then same with the tillage you know they had this, the speed till discs and as well as the full uh you know ripper ripper uh, equipment and that sort of thing and so that was the, that's over for today but we'll do the same thing again tomorrow but if they want to find out more uh yeah come on up let's go to the website theagroexpo.com and uh yeah I invite you to come there's a there's, we have real good attendance this year and everybody seems to be in a pretty good mood Awesome. Yeah, I've been to a couple of ag- agro expos in the past and fantastic events. I, I would agree with you. Really, really good stuff. Lots of good people there. And and that's kind of one of the keys, too, yeah. is not only do you have lots of technologies, but getting great people there to explain uh, exactly what the benefits and, and uh, considerations would be with those things. I, I think that's really important, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you mentioned... Uh, the North Central Research Station, and, and this is something that I think really sets AgriLiquid apart, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk with you today about nutrient deficiencies. You look at so many different crops, and you're doing research all across the country. Uh, when when you're talking about nutrient deficiencies with growers, obviously they turn to some of your fertility products as, hey, can I fix this? Uh, in season, but we always tell folks, man, if you're seeing it, you're too late to save 100% of your yield for this year, but it certainly signals where you need to make some changes for next year's program. How do you look at nutrient deficiencies in fields? Yeah, well, I've said on this show, I'm sure, and I've always said uh, from the beginning, it, you're a lot better off to prevent a deficiency than, than to try to correct one. And uh, there are some tools that we have that can correct some deficiencies. Probably one of the biggest ones is manganese. Seems like in this, in this area, uh, we see a lot of manganese deficiency late season in soybeans. And you can combine with, with a fungicide or herbicide or something and put, put maybe a quarter or so of the, of the agri-liquid manganese on. And that will uh, turn that around and it will increase yield. We've seen, seen that. It'll green it up good. And, uh, I guess I wanted to say I, I did. I did say one other thing. I wanted to kind of get across. Everybody talks about how it's been dry, and yeah, we've been dry in, like in June. And a lot of times we'll see in corn, in particular, I'll see uh, potassium deficiencies where we normally would not see those. And potassium is one of those nutrients that kind of becomes in limited supply when it's dry for a couple of reasons. One, I mean, the roots aren't aren't exploring the soil as much. But another thing, when it does turn dry the clay layers kind of collapse because water kind of opens them up and allows the nutrients to move in and out. But then when it's dry, the clay layers collapse and kind of trap that potassium. So there's less available for the plant. And so uh, that is just one thing to, to be aware of that you might see a K deficiency in corn where you normally wouldn't uh, see that. And I just want to share another kind of quick story here of something that we, that we, that we saw on our farm once that really kind of baffled us, but then, when we found out what was going on, it kind of changed the way that we did things. Uh, we had uh, on a piece of ground, it did have low potassium, but we'd put on uh, our liquid liquid potassium through the through the planter, and we were planting 15-inch row soybeans. And then we came to look at them later, uh, and we saw every other row was green, and then the rows in between were yellow. And, of course, the first thing I thought is, geez, we must, must have had some problems with our fertilizer tubes or something that those rows yellow rows did not get the fertilizer and then that turned out not to be the case and what it was is those 15 inch rows that were green were planted right over the last year's corn row and the rows that were yellow 
uh, were in the in, in between the corn rows, and so and we'd use low, I mean our low rate liquid potash uh, fertilizer on the corn, and yet there are a couple of things, but there was still enough carryover, I think, to feed those soybean plants that were planted over the row the, the next year. But also, you know, you got the root the previous year. Uh, it was no-till, and or it was reduced till, and there were still uh, root channels and that sort of thing that made it easier for that soybean root to go down and find its own potassium, but that combination. So now every year when we plant our, uh, plant our corn, we are, or, or even soybeans if we're in 30-inch rows, we try to plant either on top of or right next to that row to take advantage of that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, there, there's always something to, to learn out there. I mean, you see different things in your field. You got to ask questions to, to try to learn what the what the cause is. Like you say, it may change how you farm going forward. We're talking with Dr. Jerry Willem, who's always looking to understand and looking to learn more out there. Uh, anything standing out this year, Jerry, that you'd say any nutrient that, that you're learning a little more on or any crop that you're gaining some experience with? Well, quite not. We we usually just work with with the big three is you know corn wheat and soybeans. We have had uh, sugar beets and uh, and I think that's probably about it that we're looking at this this year. Uh, that, that, those other crops we just really aren't seeing visible nutrient deficiency, and that's where tissue tests come in. And uh, I mean tissue tests though can still be confounding, but uh, it does kind of let you know where you are, and then it also kind of lets you know if a deficiency might be coming on. Like we've had good results with foliar spraying uh, sugar beets, uh, kind of basing it off off soil tests with micros and some potassium. So, like I say, it's better to prevent a deficiency instead of trying to correct one. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, all right, before I let you run, uh, just one more plug for the Agro Expo, Jerry. Where can we find more details? It's still going on today and tomorrow, so if folks are interested in coming, there's still time to do that. Yeah, the, the website is the the agro expo there is oddly enough there's another agro expo show but it's in south america so we don't want you to go to that one <laughs> so we had to put we had to put the agro expo in front of it and so you can go to the agro expo and find the, the directions and an agenda and all that sort of thing but yeah if you're anywhere near mid michigan or even if you're just over the border uh somewhere uh yeah, come on over. I mean, there's people from Ontario and Illinois and Indiana, but yeah, I know, I know, and it, it is a, it is just a farm show. Every everything here is farm related. I mean, we we, we don't have cooking shows or anything like that. Uh, it, it's all for farm, and and uh, there's something there that you can learn or maybe help you out. Yeah, lots of great plots, lots of things going on at theagroexpo.com. Check that out, uh, Dr. Jerry. Thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks, Darren. Bye. You bet. We're talking about nutrient deficiencies on our show today. Of course, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, and you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Uh, real happy to hear from BG down in Uganda, uh, sending much love and appreciation for uh, for the agricultural programming. Hey, thanks, BG. Really appreciate that. Uh, good luck with what you guys are doing down there, and uh, thanks for your support. Really appreciate it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. 
Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Early does it. Strong early season defenses against seedling insects and soil diseases are key to a successful season. The leader in Inferro Solutions, FMC, helps protect your fields from the start with a growing portfolio of Inferro innovations. You can't predict the future, but you can plant for it. Visit your FMC retailer or inferro.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about nutrient deficiencies in various crops. And we want to make sure we're putting out nutrients in a responsible way. We don't want to overdo things. Uh, but then again, we want to make sure we have enough to reach the yield goals that we're shooting for. And of course, every year is going to challenge that a little bit where you're getting great weather you're not getting good weather you're getting plenty of moisture you're not getting enough moisture all those types of things and so it's really hard to dial this in and that's why we've got a few experts to help us out a little bit today got charlie white on right now with penn state charlie thanks for joining us sure glad to be here all right what are you seeing in pennsylvania this year i know you've got some areas out there super dry you got some others that have great crops i mean pretty fun right when you have that kind of variability to deal with 
Yeah, we can even see just, you know, down the road, there are some differences, you know, from one farm to another. Uh, you know, it's really, really spotty. It all depends where the thunderstorms pop up and decide to sit or where they move on through with barely a drop. So, yeah, it always keeps it interesting. You know, I was talking to some guys in Pennsylvania this week already that, that were chopping some silage just due to, to really extremely dry conditions. And uh, and then, yeah, you just go a couple miles down the road, they get a great hay crop. So I always look at nutrient removal. What are we taking out? And, and try to start there at least thinking, well, at least I need to put back in what I took out. Where do you start on these recommendations? Is it all based on soil testing or do you do some where you just kind of watch what yields are and, and try to feed the soil back what we took out? Yeah, well, I think that's a really great point. And oftentimes we're only soil testing once every three years. I mean, that's our, our recommendation and more frequent than that um, is not always strictly necessary. And when you do that soil test, you'll get a recommendation for three years worth of crops, and you might have put down a yield goal for those crops, and your fertilizer recommendations are based on those yield goals. And if you do have uh, a poor growing season with lower than expected yields, you would expect to have lower than expected removal rates, and so that might be something warranted to adjust those recommendations to your actual crop removal um, rates. Uh, especially in times when fertilizer prices are high, um, you may not need to be replacing what, what you thought you did when you submitted that soil test a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And I mean, it can go the other way too. You could shoot for 200 bushel corn and get 250 and say, wow, that's awesome. I'm glad I glad I got such high yields. The problem is you got to replace a lot more nutrients too. So don't just cash that check from the elevator and think, think you're in good shape here. You got to reinvest some of that into the ground. Uh, so, you know, when you're exactly. looking at that, you, you find these wrecks and, and you, you certainly set goals. We're, we're always trying to boost. And my challenge one time, or each time I should say with my brother is his goal are always in my mind a little unrealistic charlie it's it's like okay we've raised 200 bushel corn on this field but now he thinks we're going to get 220 just overnight and uh it doesn't doesn't often happen that way that we have those big increases out there uh so you know here's here's the challenge i i see when we're shooting for those high yields sometimes you get spots in the field that just can't do it and that's where oftentimes i'm seeing nutrient deficiencies that man we we pulled everything out of that particular area, but maybe not other areas. And that, to me, it's it's variable rate applications and, and either zone or grid sampling to try to find those spots where you have a little more fertility or that you were, where you may be coming up short. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And that's where, where yield monitor data can be really helpful to help inform where those zones and you could go. You could create some some extra zones within a field to soil sample those separately, or just base uh, recommendations on on what you think the expected crop removal levels will be. Um, satellite imagery is also a, a useful resource um, to help identify those high and low productivity zones. And um, yeah, I think that's a, a great way to address infield variability and. You know, if you can soil test those areas separately, it'll allow you to do a little bit of a course correction every couple of years on what your fertility inputs should be. And, and you may very well see some of your high productivity zones, you know, because of more removal uh, falling a little bit lower. You know, one of the 
one of the tips that we got from the world record corn grower, David Hula, he was saying that when he's out in the combine, if he sees an area that doesn't yield well or that yields really good, he likes to pull soil samples in, in those spots. And I know for our farm, we've always looked at, at our yield maps and said, man, we got a problem area here or something was great over there. And we we're always after the fact, I guess that's probably why he's one step ahead of us. Uh, but you know, when you see that I, we're getting to harvest right here, it's, it's a good time to kind of be aware of some of those differences out in fields. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it is for sure. And, um, you know, you could try and relocate those spots with a, a GPS or just, you know, take a moment and hop out of the combine and stick a flag in the ground back there to, to come back to it later on in the fall when you've got a little bit more time and, and the soil is softened up. Um, fall is a great time to soil sample because you can get your results back in time and spend the winter kind of looking at them and analyzing and, and making a plan and uh, making sure you have time to, to do that. Whereas in the springtime, there's so much going on. You often let those reports just sit on your desk till it's too late. Yeah. And I think this is one thing too. I've had a lot of farmers over the years say, man, looking at some of those soil tests, some things seem fairly obvious. Others, we don't really totally understand. And I know a lot of times Brandon and I will talk in our show and I, I know uh, many of the universities too are, are working to educate growers on, okay, here's here's the important things here. Here's uh, levels where you need to, to get excited about building things up or or here's where you'll probably be in a pretty good spot for your yield goal, those types of things. I, I just find when people are nervous about soil testing that they just aren't doing enough of it. And there are plenty of resources out there to help growers get through it. And like you mentioned, there's often recommendations right on the soil test of, look, here's your test and here's what you need to do. I think it's pretty easy. I I don't know why guys get so scared about it, Charlie. Yeah, I don't know either. And I know sometimes cost is a factor, but when you think about it, it's it's good for three years. And when you divide it by the acres that that soil test might apply to, you know, it really comes out to be a pretty small cost per acre per year in terms of, of that. And when you think about making decisions that are worth hundreds of dollars per acre and and um, it really just, it makes sense. I, I like to, you know, say trying to farm without soil tests is like driving blind and you're just going to run yourself off the road if you do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. No doubt about it. We've also had a lot of growers we've met uh, across the country that are soil testing in pastures even and finding good responses out there in terms of more grass growing and they're able to have more cattle per acre, that kind of thing. So it's not just, uh, well, this only applies to corn or this only applies to specialty crops or something like that. And and also alfalfa, Charlie, you get a lot of guys that are growing hay in your state as well. What do you recommend on that? Brian, my brother is big on, hey, phosphorus doesn't move much in soil, so I'd like to do that before I seed the alfalfa, and maybe I can get the phosphorus down into the soil a little bit. How, how do you deal with phosphorus in a perennial crop like that? Yeah, yeah, that is that is pretty challenging because it, it doesn't move through the soil. It'll stick where it's applied, and if you um, just broadcast it onto the soil surface, it won't uh, it won't really mix into the full brooding zone. It'll just stay there on on the top inch of soil. So that is a challenge. Um, one of the ways that so you know as you rotate out of a perennial like that or rotate into a perennial, if you are doing some tillage, certainly um, trying to incorporate that phosphorus into the whole root zone is worthwhile. Um, another thing that I see more farmers doing in in 
no-till systems is actually some strip tillage where they use that strip tilling to be able to place the phosphorus a little bit deeper. I haven't heard of anyone doing that in alfalfa yet, um, and I don't know what type of disturbance that might make to the stand, but that could possibly be something to, to think about. Um, but the other thing in, in perennials is that's important to consider is that most plants have an association with mycorrhizal fungi. And so that can actually, and mycorrhizal fungi will help extend the root system and can transport phosphorus through the soil. So I think that's something that in no-till settings actually really does help us. We don't always think about it as a, a management tool, but those fungi can help move phosphorus through the soil from where it might be poorly placed, but they can help get it to the plant root. So I think that's another part of the soil biology and soil health that can work in our favor. I see. I feel so blessed to be farming in this generation. We're starting to understand, even though there's a long ways to go, we're starting to understand all that biology in the soil that's helping us raise great crops. Good point to bring up there. Uh, speaking with Charlie White at Penn State. Charlie, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. Yeah, take care. Have a great day. Talking about nutrient deficiencies in crops and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. When it comes to your tillage equipment, stop compromising and start doing more in one pass. New from McFarlane Ag, the Insight 5200 with an independent blade configuration lets you get more done in less time. Ideal for rocky or sticky soil, the 5200 has two sets of independently mounted blades adjustable up to 12 degrees, a unique chopping reel, and five different finishing attachments, giving you the perfect seedbed. Learn more about the Insight 5200 by visiting McFarlaneAg.com today. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. 
When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zeopro Miticide from Valent USA. With next-level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zealpro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio today, and we're talking about nutrient deficiencies. Got a question that came in from Perry up in Ontario, Canada, and Perry said, "Hey, I uh, am using your formula for potassium and figuring out how much K I need to build to certain base saturation levels uh, that I got from your soils clinic, and I'm getting your numbers to work, but when I try and use my own numbers, I'm having trouble." Uh, I'm just wondering, can you explain how to use this formula? Hey, thanks, Perry. We really appreciate this. And this is one of the more popular questions that we get on the show uh, when it comes to potassium. A lot of growers are saying, okay, here's my parts per million, and I know what my base saturation is, and I want to try and build to that. So if you want to write down a couple of numbers, uh, you can jot these down, and I'll I'll get started into this formula. So a couple numbers. So the example problem that we used here that Perry's referring to, we had 184 parts per million of K, 184 parts per million. This is in a six-inch soil sample. And we had a 1.8% base saturation. And we were just talking about how much potash would we need to apply to get to a 4% base saturation. So 4% base saturation is the goal. So we take the current parts per million times the percentage goal. So that's 184 times 4% base saturation is what we want. And then we divide by the current percentage. So our current base saturation percentage is 1.8. And then we subtract 184, which is our current parts per million. And then we multiply that times 2, and that equals 450 pounds of K that we actually need to apply. And since potash is 0060, but that 60 is not 60, uh, 60% K, it's 60% K2O potassium. It's actually 50% actual K. Well, we take the 450 pounds of actual K that we need and divide that by 50%. So we would need 900 pounds of potash to go from a 1.8% base saturation on this soil up to a 4% base saturation. So a lot of folks would say, okay, I can do that over five years. So I'll just add another 180 pounds plus whatever my crop removal rates are. And, and five years from now, I'll be up at that 4%. Others will say, you know, I'm just going to take uh, one field, apply the whole 900 pounds of potash and just get there all at once and see. Um, however you end up doing that, I guess you, you were just, your question was, how do we run these numbers? I'll tell you, Perry, where the, the big challenge gets to be. So we're multiplying, dividing and subtracting all in one uh, spot and it ends up being the order of operations. So you multiply and you divide before you would do that subtraction. So just make sure you do all those things first. Uh, and hopefully the numbers will work out for you. If you have actual numbers and you want us to look at an actual soil test, we'd be more than happy to do that too. Hey, thanks for the support, Perry. Thanks for uh, for checking out the Soils Clinic and for your question today. 
right, got Mark from Wisconsin on the phone lines right now with a, an interesting question here about corn silks. And Mark, I, I looked at the pictures you sent in and read your email, and uh, I, I think I know what's going on. Wonderful. So so let me just sum this up here for, for anyone listening. So Mark sent an email in, and he said, our corn went through a drought period during pollination. Was it really hot during that time too, Mark? A borderline, I, I wouldn't say anything earth-shattering, but yeah, it was hot. Okay, for Wisconsin, it was on the warm side, and it was dry during pollination, and the silks turned black. Uh, and then we got some nice rains, and in places it seemed that the corn plants were sending out more silks. And what, what I've seen a lot with corn is it, it does want to achieve pollination. The goal of every plant is reproduction and, and going forward uh, the next year. And what corn will do a lot of times, if it's putting out silks, if it's really hot, really dry, uh, if there's insect feeding, uh, if there's a mistimed herbicide application or, or a hot surfactant that gets used, you can burn those silks that are outside the husk. But what the corn plant will do is it will continue pushing that silk out more. And so you will see more white or, or light colored silks coming out the end of the ear later in many cases. So it sounds like fortunately that worked for you. And the other thing that I think was interesting, if I'm reading your email right, Mark, is that you had multiple varieties out there. So you'd have more pollen availability longer. Is that correct? That is correct, or that's, at least that's the goal. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that strategy. I know Brandon and I have been talking about that too uh, with some of the corn that we've put out. I know we do a lot of plot work, and we end up with partial bags. And at the at the end of a field, a lot of times we'll mix those all together and put them out. And sometimes that's our best yielding area of the field just because we extended our pollination window. So I, I don't think that's a bad strategy at all. So anyway, I think it's just the corn plants continue to push those silks out because they hadn't been pollinated yet. Uh, and okay. hopefully you did catch some more pollen. So that's, that's fantastic. It looked, looked like the ear that you sent, uh, was, was filled out most of the way anyway. Most of the way up. Were you able to tell anything from, I mean, from the picture of the tassel as to whether there's still pollen on it or those little, Oh, yeah. No, no, I don't know not, what you not, call it. Not so much. I, I don't know. It looks like it's about done to me. I mean, you can shake that and see how much more pollen shed there is. Uh, it looked like it okay. was mostly done, but on that particular one. But uh, I don't know. It's kind of neat seeing the, the ears where you got brown silks out there, but there's there's white silks pushing through. Uh, that That's a really good sign. I'm glad that, that they kept going. Yeah, and it seems like this happens about every year we have a drought that it'll do that. And I mean, I know it keeps pushing out silks. I just don't get why it why it would quit pushing and then start pushing again unless it's just it has moisture to keep pushing. Yeah, it, it's but. interesting talking to the corn breeders. Each hybrid has. Uh, 
you know, some push out a lot more silk just normally than others. And maybe this is just a response to the stress that it just, just kept pushing. It was its only shot to, to reach pollination and you must have decent fertility there too, that it thought, okay, things are, things are good. We can make more kernels than what we got. So it, it just kept going. So I like that. But uh, your second question you had about spraying corn and beans with a fungicide insecticide combo, and is it worth it to, to put tracks every 120 feet out there at this stage. Talk to me about that. What row spacing are you in on the corn and what row spacing are you in on the beans? Well, the corn is out. So I hate seeing wheel tracks and soybeans. And the studies I've seen is you get a little more yield benefit if you wait until R1 or at least VT. So there's no ground rigs around that can do that in corn. And soybeans, I have to hire the application done either way. So for the, as for, uh, I feel like I maybe make up a half a bushel or bushel or something like that to pay for the added cost of an aerial application. Uh, I got a call from my helicopter uh, man this morning, and apparently he had engine trouble. So I, nobody was hurt, so I'm happy about that. But that still leaves me kind of scratching my head of... <laughs> How am I going to get this work now done? Now we're getting late, and we're going to have tracks in the field. Yep. Do you have so Do you have about, a big insect uh, issue, or is there just like, uh, there's some out there, but not enough to justify on its own, but if it had a free ride with fungicide, I'd do it? I don't know. You know, I always hear about let it get to the threshold. And I see Japanese beetles out there reproducing constantly. So more often than not, eventually we do hit threshold for, especially at $16 beans for treatment. All right. as right. far as is it at threshold now, absolutely not. Okay. Well, I tell you what, Mark, we're yeah. up against a break. If you want to hang on just a little bit more, you can. Here's my thought, though. If if we aren't up to threshold yet, is it going to be worth it? It depends on if you got any of the bad diseases. Like if it's white mold you're trying to protect against, I still think it's worth it. And maybe you could spot spray so you didn't have to do the whole field. But we can talk a little bit more about it right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Compromise is nice, if you're at the playground or scouring yard sales. But farmers know better that middle grounds have no winner. That's why there's Revitec fungicide, fast-acting and long-lasting, preventative and curative, disease control and stress reduction. So leave the settling to little Tommy at the seesaw, an old bargain bill, and take your full prize in yields with Revitec fungicide for uncompromised performance. Always read and follow label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. 
Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. What if your herbicide was easy to mix and tough for weeds to resist? Anthem Flex Herbicide from FMC offers the most effective mode of action for spring and winter wheat, delivering long-lasting control of grasses and broadleaf weeds, including Italian ryegrass, rat-tail fescue, and downy brome, plus weeds typically resistant to glyphosate and Group 1 and Group 2 herbicides. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zealpro Miticide from Valent USA. With next-level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zealpro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We've been talking about nutrient deficiencies in various crops, and we're now into the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got Mark on with us right now out in Wisconsin, and uh, unfortunately, his aerial applicator is having some issues with engine troubles, which, thank goodness he's on the ground, Mark. I'm, I'm with you. You don't want to have engine troubles with a, a helicopter when you're up in the air, but that leaves you in a little bit of a lurch that you got 15 intro beans that need to be sprayed with fungicide. Is it worth putting tracks out in the field this late in the season? And that that is a big question. If you don't have a big problem... I would be pretty tempted to say, no, I don't want to put those tracks out there. But if white mold's a big concern and if you've got an insect outbreak, well, they can take a lot of yield off. And, and in that case, I would probably go for it and spray with the ground rig with a 120-foot boom. That's that's my idea anyway. What do you think of that? Heads up on it to try to help with the white mold. And we put a lot of copper on it to try to help with some disease resistance issues there. So I'm thinking for the most part, I'll just skip it. But 
I deeply appreciate the advice. Oh, you bet. Thanks a lot, Mark. Yeah, I, I love that you're you're really going for it and uh, trying to manage things pretty closely, trying to keep an eye on everything. So, yeah, now's the fun time where you got to try and walk through those 15-inch beans and scout for insects. <laughs> I don't envy you. I, I think I'd be getting a drone and, and at least uh, taking a look at satellite imagery, a drone and drone work and whatnot to see if you could target where you got to trapes through there but oh my goodness beans yeah. can be uh they, well, they can be fun well you know i think a drone would actually pay pretty fast i shouldn't admit this because if brian was here that would say there's no excuse for this but <laughs> oh well <laughs> so i i try to look at all the fields and me and another agronomist looked at a field and the beans look just phenomenal and then then i walked in two weeks later looked at just a slightly different angle and the field was covered in weeds. So that's a case where uh drone certainly would have came in handy. Yeah. I, we've been getting a lot of those weed surprises where, Hey, the field looked good, but all of a sudden, you know, we didn't, we didn't canopy as quick. A lot of guys have said the crop's been a week to three weeks behind this year. And I know some of the drier areas too still haven't canopied and, that that can be problematic for weed control. The herbicides can only hold out so long. Okay. Awesome. Well, well, thanks for the advice. You bet. Thanks a lot, Mark. Have a great day and good luck here the rest of the season. Uh, I had a question that came in. This one is from um, DM who said, uh, you guys are talking about fixing saline soil. I'm, I, I was thinking the microbes in the soil would take care of this problem. And, you know, DM, the microbes are certainly going to be a part of this. The challenge is when we put them in a, a spot where we've got uh, high pH and we've got salts and we've got, uh, you know, different conditions in there that are really challenging, it's tough. And I, I always think about it like me. Uh, if you put me in the shop and it's air conditioned and it's 70 degrees in there and I've got great lighting, man, I can, I can work all day. But if if you said, well, no, you have to have the door open and it's 100 degrees and super humid or it's uh, below zero and uh, the lighting's poor and these kinds of things, I just don't have a good condition there for me to be able to get much done. So uh, I do think the microbes are part of the solution. I don't think they're the entire solution. I, I really do feel like if we don't get drainage in there so we can flush some of those things out, um, we've got a problem. I've heard other people explain it like you have to take the plug out of the bathtub otherwise all the dirt stays in the tub so i don't know however you want to look at that i do think it's part of the solution just don't think that it's the entire thing thanks for the question we really appreciate that um got this one in from marshall who said guys i'm a 33 year old first generation farmer in southern illinois currently in my second year of crop production i noticed in my field my soybean plants started flowering june 15th and they're still flowering now, 53 days later. And the neighbor's field, which was planted later than mine, but it's the same variety, stopped flowering already and began to fill out seed. Um, just kind of wondering what's going on with that. He's got a few questions here, but what factor or factors are contributing to keeping soybean plants flowering longer? Uh, and what can I do next year to make sure the same outcome happens? Hey, Marshall, first of all, good job. This is awesome. This is really good stuff. And he, he made a comment here, too, that he fertilized for 70 bushel beans and put on exactly what the soil lab recommended. I think that's one of the keys. We see a lot of folks not fertilizing soybeans well. 
and counting on, oh, there's going to be carryover from last year's corn crop. And in most cases, there's not enough. So by putting out what that soybean crop needs, I think that's a great start. Uh, putting on a premium seed treatment so it stays healthy, that's good. You know, the other things that we look at is uh, if you can plant early, that helps the soybeans start flowering earlier. And we typically see a longer flowering window, which is great for yield. And then doing anything you can to keep that plant healthy. So great weed control is important. Um, using foliar fungicides, that's been a nice way in our area for sure for keeping disease off the plants and, and keeping those plants healthy. All the plant health benefits, uh, producing more antioxidants, keeping that canopy just a little bit cooler, all those things uh, all come in. So I, I think that's that's important. So anyway, yeah, I think you're doing a lot of good things here. Planting early, protecting that crop, keeping it healthy all year. That's the big difference. So planting a little bit later, not fertilizing right. Uh, maybe there's some other stresses out in your neighbor's field. All those things led to that plant shutting down sooner because, hey, conditions weren't good. The plants didn't think they could support all those pods. So they, they quit flowering. So good job. And if you have more questions, Marshall, just let us know. We'd love to help. Let's head back to the phone lines. Get Swanski on right now. I want to talk uh, a little bit about potatoes and uh, maybe had a question too. How you doing, Swanski? Uh, excellent. Yourself. Uh, enjoy the program there. I was just listening to uh, comments about potatoes. Uh, I, I was just passing on uh, the information to your sister about the contact person that I would recommend up in northwestern Minnesota where I hail out of. But the question I have is, between you and your brother over the years when you were growing up there, who pulled the most weeds? <laughs> that is a great question. Uh, Janelle would probably be the good referee on that one. You know, I would say, Swansky, it might be me just between the two okay. of us only because I think I pulled for more years than Brian did. Would that be a fair statement, okay. Janelle? Yeah, Janelle's nodding her head, and she's saying, yeah, probably so. Maybe it took me longer to learn than him uh, about, hey, you want to get out of the $5 hour jobs and move into the $100 an hour jobs. Brand started doing one of the things that, that um, well, this this kind of shows our age, too, uh, for my dad, for our farm, and, and our family business and stuff. Uh, when he started putting all the files on computer, Brian ended up doing a lot of that work for him. Brian really, really liked working on the computer and that kind of thing. And I think at about 14, is that is that about right, Janelle? If Brian was here, I'd ask him. I think he was about 14 when he started doing book work for my dad most of the time. Basically, anytime the weather was bad and he could get out of a really rotten job, Brian all of a sudden had computer book work that he needed to do. I don't know how that worked, and he's not here to defend himself. But uh, So maybe I'm not being totally fair, but that's sure how it felt to me. So I guarantee you I did pull more weeds. <laughs> thanks for that, that answer. <laughs> you bet. Hey, thanks for the question. We really appreciate it. You know, that, that does bring up a couple thoughts, Janelle. Uh, man, we... We did pull a lot of weeds out in those fields. So uh, when we look at clean fields now or ones that we don't have much weed pressure in, it's, I don't know, that, that work really paid off for us. I was pretty happy with that. Uh, on today's show, we were talking about nutrient deficiencies. And I guess before we leave that, I would just say this. It's the exact right time to be out in your fields looking for this. And when you look at satellite imagery, you look at anything that shows up as you're scouting with drones or you just use 
past history and some common sense you've got. You know where those high yielding areas are at. You know where the lower yielding areas are at. Get into some of those different areas that are different than the rest of your fields. Look for nutrient deficiencies. I, I picked up a, a field close to 10 years ago now, and I got a chance to, to walk that field the summer before I was going to get to farm it. And I noticed in the soybeans that they had growing there, they had potassium deficiency. I had never seen that in soybeans before, just, just in an area around a terrace where they had moved dirt to build up the terrace. And so I knew going into that, I really have to address that potassium. And we got after it that first fall and we hadn't even farmed that ground yet. So by looking at those spots out in fields now, you can really start uh, setting up the beginnings of your fall fertility plan that'll be coming soon. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.